0: Welcome and good morning, Trinity Bible Church, as well as those who are visiting, um, families, friends, and, and those who are maybe here for the first time. A uh, quick uh, reminder, uh, mentioned it last Sunday, uh, the whole month of December when we do uh, Advent um, uh, preaching, meaning we, we look to kind of Old Testament and New Testament passages centered around the uh, incarnation of Christ uh, during that time. Uh, we are making a a few changes to the liturgy or the order of worship, and so uh, it's not, you know, monumentally different. We're just taking one song from the beginning, like we usually do, and putting it with another song, Was we usually do one song after as a conclusion to um, public worship, and so it'll be another song at the end. And so we won't have announcement. We won't have song announcement. We'll have announcements, scripture reading, music or or worship as music, and then we'll have some uh, another prayer and the time of the word, and then after the word we'll have the Lord's Supper, and then after that we'll have a couple of more songs to close out uh, the worship. So it'll Look a little different, but it's not, you know, any type of dramatic change. There's no liturgical dance team or anything like that. Nor will there ever be. (laughs) These are my people. Yeah. Uh, Apologies for liturgical dance team members. Uh, Now, uh, as we are continuing in, in the gospel according to Matthew... Uh, we are uh, re- we remain in chapter 19 uh, of a, call, a small couple of verses um, this week, uh, 19, 13 through 15. Uh, a- as a reminder, um, or perhaps for those that, that have never been here before, I will read the verses that we are covering this morning. Uh, sometimes in larger groups to see the context, but but here um, just these singular verses this morning. Reading verses 13 and 15. When I read. Out loud. After that, give an opportunity for the congregation to pray uh, in silence, pray for uh, a time of, of the Holy Spirit to, to reveal uh, the truth of the Word to, to your mind, to, to illuminate your mind by the power of the Word and the Spirit, a time to repent of unrepentant sin, and a time just to commune with God before we enter in the time of the Word. So now, if you're able, if you have not yet, turn to Matthew 19, as we read verses 13 through 15. Matthew wrote, Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Please take this time to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, the church gathers this morning to celebrate the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, our Redeemer, our King. Lord, as we gather, we, we come and offer our praise and our worship. To the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. As as your people, who you have gathered to yourself. Who you have gifted through the power of the Spirit. In various ways that we might edify one another and ultimately glorify you in this life that you've given us. This short time while we're here. Lord, that we might share your gospel with the hurting and the broken world around us. God, through your word this morning, remind us anew of that sin nature which we still war with, that we still fail. Lord, confront us with our idolatry, our lack of discipline, and the many ways that we forget you and put other things before you. Lord, turn our affections by the power of the Holy Spirit and your true and holy word back to Christ. Strengthen us by the Spirit, comfort us through the same gospel with the full knowledge that we have been redeemed. Lord, that we have been empowered and sanctified, justified. In this life, we've been strengthened to grow more and more in the faith and more and more into an image of our Savior rather than reflecting the fallen world around us. We do so by the strength of the Spirit with the pure promise and the sure hope that our King will return. God, so strengthen your church in this continued time of public worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we've been going through chapter 19... We've seen most of it has been about marriage, divorce, and even singleness. It's covered a a gamut of what would make up the majority of the population, both in the time of Christ and now. So we've talked about that. And now we've come to this passage where, where children are brought into it again. And so it should, as the author is intending you to, after this discussion on Marriage, divorce, singleness, and the the myriad of aspects involved. Uh, Jesus bringing the the argument about divorce back to creation, to pre-fall, the standard, but then also dealing with the reality of fallen people. And prior to that, you would be reminded of the fact that there was several teaching moments before Jesus came to this area of Galilee that we found in chapter 19. In chapter 18, if you remember, or if you can think back, or if you can just turn the page, you'll notice that a dialogue, or if you remember, began with the disciples when they asked, who is the greatest? It was an argument we saw, according to Mark's gospel and Luke's, It was an argument about who was the greatest, who was going to inherit the position of of greatest among the disciples in this kingdom that first John had been talking about and Jesus had been preaching and, and the citizenship of that kingdom being preeminent and the questions of the culture of the time, including from his disciples, were like, how does one enter into that kingdom? What does one of those citizens look like? And of course, everyone was getting the idea wrong because their thoughts were, what do I do to get into this kingdom? What, do my, what does my life look like that qualifies me? In essence, like, what righteousness of my own can I, can I really bring as a merit that puts me in this kingdom? And his disciples who've been walking with Jesus for years, who were hand-chosen by him, not for their great intellect or even their great righteousness, but of his own good pleasure... And he answers them by the following, back in 18, verse 2. I want you to pay attention to the, the, the differences in this and the text we have today. Calling to him a child, he calls a child out of the audience, out of the crowd. And he put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And if you weren't here, or if you don't remember, or if you fell asleep when we went through this, what we talked about was the reality of not children, as children all go to heaven, or or something like that, or children are all innocent. What he was showing and what he put forward was humility. Look at the humility of this child before all of these men and all of these adults. More than likely, this child was a little bit terrified that a a now-famous rabbi said, hey, kid, come here, and put him in the midst of all of his disciples and said, be like this one. Turn and be humble. And then what comes after that is a talk about sin and the temptation to sin. And, And the way we taught it was... The reality is child is, ne- is being used as a reference for and humility and, and one coming to faith and being humble before a holy God, an unchanging God, a creator and the creature who is changing and, and who is sinful and who is brought to recognition of who they are in light of this unchanging holy God. The only response is humility. And so then Jesus' teaching continued about sin and sinning against and causing the sin of one of these little ones. And, and even the question then romps up about, you know, how many times do I, do I forgive my brother? Is it, is it seven? Is it that many? And you see even this continued dialogue of what do we do? How do we earn? How hard do I have to work to get in this kingdom of heaven? And you'll notice one thing that Jesus almost never does, although sometimes, is react with abject exasperation that the fact that no one's getting this yet. He knows why no one's getting that. He's already revealed that, the hardness of their hearts, the blindness of their eyes, the closeness of their ears. And when you're reading the teaching, particularly what we just covered, the for two weeks on marriage and divorce the teachers of the time if if you would say the idea they had at least about the kingdom as it came up with marriage is what is the smallest amount or if you had to make a measure of what made a good man a righteous man what's the lowest bar that that i can reach in order in to enter this kingdom Because it's a pretty low bar that's set when you really look into the history of what divorce looked like at the time and the way that people viewed marriage. And then going through all of that, now children come up again. Yet Jesus isn't pointing to the crowd and saying, child, come here. Now the, the impetus is that after he's done all this teaching on family, and then including marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness, now families or parents are bringing, or wanting to bring their children to Jesus after all this teaching. And if you look closely at how it said, it says, Children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Now, one of the things we've noticed throughout the gospel account, as we've covered, is often what was happening is people were coming to Jesus because they heard the following. He was healing people. He was healing the social outcasts, the diseased, the lepers, those who had been paralyzed for life. And in this particular belief of the time, any infectious disease paralytic any type of what we would call like psychosomatic disorder anything like that the people would have been viewed uh, the woman who was bleeding for a dozen years there would have been very little sympathy or empathy for them there were certainly social things that were built within Jerusalem within the law within the temple system that gave them a place to be food to eat and things like that They would have clothing. And so they had these physical needs, but they were exiled from any type of community, any, any love from community that was supposed to be a part of it. And so these social systems were simply in place, but the people themselves were outcasts. There was no communal love of Israel towards these people. Here comes this rabbi, and where does he go? He goes to the lepers. He goes specifically to the paralytic on a Sabbath, both to show compassion, God's power, and their inability to understand the scriptures. He allows allows the woman to touch his robe and be healed, and then stop in the middle of a very public setting to bless her for it, for her faith. He'll go to the foreign lands and be recognized by an unclean woman. He will dine with tax collectors and sinners. He will go everywhere to show the powers that be, the religious uh, leaders at the time. All those who I call my children are all equal in the kingdom of God. And so there was no variance in who he, he talked to or who he interacted with. We know with John, in the Gospel of John, that included those who were Pharisees. His entire conversation with Nicodemus is is talking with one of the highest religious authorities of the time yet now in this culture as we've talked before both how different various ways that, that that individuals were looked at children were one of those that one rabbi wrote at the time, the best way to discipline an unruly child was, I, I'm not going to open this for an open forum, but just, I'm going to give you a few seconds to imagine what it might be. The knuckles of your hand. Yeah, that's not like rapping on the arm. It was a backhand. To teach the child, not to be disruptive. And so some of you are like, wait, that's, that's not acceptable anymore. I say that simply to say that the idea of, of Jesus healing lepers or interacting with, with uh, tax collectors, sinners, and and particularly having all of those amongst who he was as well as widows and those who would help minister to them throughout this was already he was so outside what was considered the norm but this two these two moments the one where he picks a child out of the crowd and puts before grown men here's your example of the one who gets in the kingdom would have been shocking but now Parents are going, this this guy is completely different. Not only is he healing and doing these things, I want to bring my child to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray. It was completely outside of the norm. It would have been seen as shocking. We'll see how his disciples react. They react as men of their time. But before we get to that, I have a few things to say about perhaps how we view children in the household of God. We are not in the first century. We are in the 21st century. And there seems to be two views. One, abject, ridiculous, fawning. Yes, fawning, F-A-W-N-I-N-G. Everything that a child does is the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And it's got to be on Facebook and all the other things that you might have. And I'm going to show it to people on my phone. Look at that. Look at that. Look what they did. They went, bleh. (laughs) (laughs) And then so everything becomes about how amazing children are. And then all of culture has to bend its will to the child. That's not right. And and so children become the focus in the center and you have you have like a culture now of really treating children as as kind of preeminent in all aspects of life and they can do no wrong and all that kind of thing. That's that's not a proper view. That's not a biblical view of children. And it's obnoxious. But the, but the second part is just as bad. There may be no knuckles to the head as a form of discipline, but the reality is that if you have a view of children as they are best left unheard and unseen until, to quote one very popular author today, they become interesting or you could say useful. When they stop being or acting like children and do and act and become interesting or useful to me, then they may speak. And yet, let me introduce you to a stark reality. Children's church is a very modern invention. The sounds of babies and the noises of young children whispering questions to their parents within a church service was the norm in the church for 1,985 years. And yet we've convinced ourselves that church is best served if children aren't in it. Why? Because they'll distract, because they make noise. Because mommy needs a break. And mommy doesn't need a break. But the reality is, is that we, we kind of allow, just as during this time, culture to kind of define how we think about children when it comes to the very worship of God. And so what Jesus does here is more than just, oh, that's a neat story that Jesus did with children. Look what he's going to do with the children. The parents, these brave parents, these parents who are looking to Jesus and going, I want this one who is teaching in such a manner, who is healing. I want him to put his hands on my child and pray for them. Mark, the account of Mark is in chapter 10 and it says that in a little, more, in a little um, broader sense that Jesus holds them. And prays for them. So these children are brought to Jesus. The parents desire is for him to lay his hands. This is the the kind of combination of words. Where you get the idea of ordination from. that. And don't think of it in in that sense. It's unfortunate when it's used that way. This is not the context of like Paul being ordained by the church. To be sent out for his mission work. But it is the idea of his hands being put on them was was a, a protection and an, an action of Jesus blessing these children. This is what the parents wanted. So after this teaching, this hard teaching about teaching about uh, uh, a divorce and remarriage to which his disciples react as men of their time, better not to be married then, and then After all of this, and he talks about singleness, and he talks about the kingdom again, the kingdom of heaven. And then the children are brought to him. The disciples' response is the disciples rebuked the people. And what they meant to say was like, you don't bring those little things near the rabbi. Don't you know who he is? This is our teacher. He's famous now. Get get these things away from him. They weren't seen as important. They were seen as, by the disciples, extensions of disrespectful parents. And yet imagine that. It doesn't say that the parents believed that he was Messiah. It doesn't say that that they had faith. But there is an action of faithfulness that, that is brought by, or the way it's directed in the text, is that they just didn't care about whatever the norms were. They wanted this one, this Jesus, to pray for their children. And so the disciples rebuked the people or corrected them. And then Matthew wrote, well, Mark wrote that Jesus was indignant at his disciples for the rebuke. But here in Matthew, he just wrote that Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. This was the riddle. Who goes in the kingdom of heaven? What do you do? Well, how low can the bar be? How high is the bar? It seems confusing to them. They're religious leaders. They teach the people about the law and yet Jesus keeps confounding them. And look who he has that he's with. He has these these poor men. He has has a tax collector. He's followed by these women we know are sinful because they're widows or they've been married more than once or whatever it might be. And, 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 And who is he? And then now, here he is collecting children who should not be seen and should not be heard. Now imagine these children the creator of the universe according to Paul and Colossians gathers them in his arms sits down on their level and according to Mark holds them and prays for them there's a group of child we don't children we don't know how many but it would have been like other areas grabbing or holding or putting his hands on each child and praying for him. Maybe you don't see the the imagery. The children are representative of the humble who are brought to their knees by faith in the Son. And just, not just, exactly As these children are drawn and brought to the Son, so have you and I. We were brought to the knowledge of the Son, drawn by the Holy Spirit. And if you are and you are one who has faith in Christ not only has he put his hands on you he holds you fast and does not let go If there's anything to remember It's the moment that you can, if you can remember, it might have been a long time ago for some of you, the moment that you came to faith in Christ, the instant that you knew you believed. The humility of a repentant heart. The story of the children, the book and story of these children accounts in Matthew is, is singular in its teaching. Those who are in the kingdom will come to the king in humility, they will come to the king in repentance. They will come to the king in full acknowledgement of who he is. They will come to the king and be justified. They will come to the king and be made righteous in his own righteousness. They will be held by the king... Until such a time as he returns, and therefore that humility remains. The humility of one who comes and is held by the king and fails and sins and is brought to their knees. Oh God, forgive me. And the king reminds them I have you. You are mine. Just like he held the children, he so holds his people. And if that's a truth you believe, that means your life has such intense meaning and value. If you call yourself Christian, if you are captivated by Christ, and your affections are so turned to him, this one who cradles you, the king, then you are priceless. Do you understand? The scene here would have been shock, taking time to put his hands and bless these, these little creatures who should have been quiet and kept out of his path, teaching a lesson again and again with the utmost patience to those who had already confessed that he was the Christ, and yet were so blind and stubborn, didn't see the simplicity of what he kept repeating about those who were in the kingdom. And we can can live just like that. You forget your humility. You forget who holds you. And then whatever it is that's binding you in this life, whatever sin, whatever concern whatever sorrow whatever heartache whatever self-recrimination whatever it may be that becomes your god because it's all you think about and christ is still holding you and saying no you belong to me you belong to the king These little ones, let them come to me. Do not hinder them, for to them or to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. Let us be a people who celebrates the humility of being before the Holy One. A people that recognizes His glory and His mercy and His grace and His power and His goodness and His perfection in light of our imperfections. In light of our lack of mercy when dealing with others, in the contradictory nature of our minds, keep your eyes on the King. Keep your eyes on the one who holds you. Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you for the Son. We thank you for the Son who, in his humiliation, died for us, and all those who would be called by his name. We thank you for the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who has regenerated us, indwells us, sanctifies us, convicts us, And binds us one to another. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this way we know you fully as we can through what you've given us in the word. But one day when the king returns, we are given resurrected glorified bodies combined with sinless glorified spirits we will know father son and holy spirit in fullness lord let us look to this future hope particularly and always and especially in our bleakest of times let us be reminded of the creator of the universe who humiliated himself in the flesh, came down to live with sinful man for a time, and even knelt down and prayed over children. Let us be reminded of his goodness and mercy. And may you continue to be glorified in our public worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.